0: This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Eek Vibes Nation. Eek Vibes Nation. 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 The Top 10. The Top 10. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation. If you're listening in, welcome, and you are in for a treat because we have the two best gals on podcasts at this moment. Uh, your host, myself, Tia Fabi, and I have with
1: me Brittany. How are you doing, Brittany? I was going to say, I'm doing great. You know, it reminded me, what you just said reminded me when I asked my mom, who's the favorite kid, and she said, well, you're my favorite daughter, and they go, well, you're my favorite youngest daughter, and I'm like, oh, we're your favorite podcast with uh, two women, uh, Italian, some blonde chick that's now pink, you know, just like narrow it down for the audience. (laughs) We're, 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 We're somehow your favorite down the line, you just don't know it yet.
0: You just don't know it yet, but we're your favorite. Stop lying. <laughs> <You're> right, right. <laughs> oh, man. Brittany, it is a trip having you on this evening. I felt like I was rushing to get on this podcast and finally I was like, oh, all right, let's do it. As we said right before this
1: started, would we just say, Brittany? Oh, the, the fuck it, we'll do it live? Yep, there you go. The we'll do it
0: live. And the reason why we're saying it, see, that's the thing is, um, I always bring up my mom in these podcasts because I really want to say that she's my biggest critic, but also my biggest fan. And she's always giving me, like, these tips, right? Um, but they come in forms of maybe, like, complaints as well. <laughs> and she'll be like... You know, you really need to be a little bit more prepared. And I say that my unpreparedness is what makes these podcasts so special. And that is because right before this podcast, you know, I normally do my big spiel with all of the drops that we have. And I usually have them in a document all prepared. And I open up my Chromebook and they are not there. And I was scrambling beforehand to find them. And I was like, you know, what? I'll just wing it. You know, sorry, sorry, but you'll all get the gist of what I'm trying to say
1: here.
0: <laughs> no, that's why Aww. I
1: love you because at least like I'm um, like that person, you know when there's like group projects and you're really like, and then people are like, oh, I want to get with the smarter person because that means I can slack, right? But I was always the person in school that got all the slackers because they're like, well, Brittany will do all the work. So you know what? It's nice to let you just do all the work, T. I feel like all these years has culminated to this moment to just have <laughs> you do this for me.
0: I'm a huge procrastinator. I do everything last minute. It's really honestly when I do my best work. I know that sounds like an excuse that most people use who just don't want to maybe do things. But I seriously just feel the most inspiration when I'm under pressure to meet a deadline. It's like if I say, if I say to myself, oh, I got three days to complete something, I will wait for that third day really quick when – you know my so, Brittany. You know my friend Bryant, right? Bryant and I yeah. have been friends. Bryant and I have been friends with each other since high school. He's out in California right now, um, and we went to college together as well for uh, our bachelor's degree. We both decided to kind of go to this one college, and we actually had a class together because he was a film major. I was a liberal arts communications major. So we both decided to take this one film class together. And I swear, I felt so bad for Bryant because he read the textbook. He did all the homework. He studied before the test. I did none of that. I, did, I, never, I never even picked up that textbook ever. I didn't study for one freaking test. And then at the end of the semester... He made a B and I made an A. <laughs> and oh he was so God. mad. And he was and that's not I'm really not sitting here trying to toot my own horn or anything cuz I am certainly not a uh in the, the I'm not smart in the sense of like education, you know, like traditional education. Um but I just thought it was funny. But Brian was so pissed at me because he did all this hard work and ended up getting a lesser grade than me. And I'm saying to myself, that's just because I part. That's where I always did it in school, right? I participated the most. I was like, if I just talk all the time, then (laughs) they're (laughs) going
1: to count that as a grade, (laughs) Um, which I mean, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's funny because of the subject we're going to be on, but uh, <laughs> my, friend Ansley, my friend Ansley was always uh, so mad because, not mad at me, but like, like, what the hell? Because, you know, we we grew up together. We went to high school, junior high, and middle school together. And, I mean, she really always put her nose to the grind. She studied. She had to work. She would cry over stuff, but she, she always froze up with tests. My thing is, is I was like that, I procrastinate, but I was a really fast reader, so right before we take a quiz or test, I would quickly take five minutes to look over everything, suck up that knowledge, and ace the test, and she was like, you fucking bitch, I hate you so much, and I was, it was just because I could read fast and retain it, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but a girl's gotta do what a girl's gotta do to pass this test.
0: Brittany is certainly a faster reader than I am. I would like to say I'm the faster typer. Just toot my, I am toot my own horn with that one.
1: I, I can't, but. like, if Tia thinks something and it's already on the paper before she's even got the thought out. Like, she'll be like, huh, oh, it, it's already there on paper. I didn't even think that yet, but Okay. <laughs> It's
0: when I do a resume, I'm always my proudest moment to go, I can type 100 words per minute. Like, that is my crowning achievement in life. But, so, Brittany and I Brittany and I are doing the top 10 favorite novels. Not best, because that's, I think, pretty objective. There's so many, so many amazing, say, like, classics and stuff like that. I mean, you think of, say... The Good Earth and, uh, you know, uh, of War and Peace and blah, 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 like that. Right. And I just figured we wouldn't do it any, at least me, I wouldn't do any sort of service to say the best. So I figured the favorites. Right. What are our favorite novels out there? Um, And these are books I've actually read because that's another thing. I, in school, hardly ever read the books that we were supposed to read. Spark Notes was my friend. I read, say, the first chapter and the last chapter, did the Spark Notes, which probably was more work than actually reading the frickin' book, and then I would just do my book reports on that, and I always got a good grade, so, you know, I was able to at least bullshit it enough, but... Yeah, um, these are our top ten favorite novels. Um, I thought that this was something interesting because we've done, say, movies or TV shows based on books, and we've never done actual, say, books that we've liked. And I will say that you know what has really kind of, um, uh, whatchamacallit, given life, again, to say a passion of reading for me was is audiobooks. Audiobooks really help me read because I feel like I'm always in my car. I'm always going somewhere. I hardly really have the time to sit down and legitimately read, even if there are times where I feel inspired to read. But I know that I'll never really get through the whole thing because then life happens. But audiobooks is a really good thing. So I am not shaming anyone here who feels like they prefer to listen to their books as opposed to visually reading their books. I don't know how you feel about this, Brittany.
1: I mean, I, I agree because, they, um, yeah, you know, my husband, he had trouble, like, listening like to reading books because, you know, he gets sleepy, right? He gets, like, and he who's reading, they get sleepy or it's, like, slow going, you know? But being able to listen to especially on a long drive, or, you know, having that option, especially when you're driving at like, 12 hours, is really good. Because, like, for me, I would love, even if I was doing those drives, to have something to listen to like that. Because if you're going to have to sit there and keep yourself awake, what's better than hearing a story? Because there's only so much music you can listen to before you're kind of like, well, okay.
0: <laughs> exactly exactly um I kind of stopped listening to music in my car Paulie, my boyfriend always says that he's never met anyone who dislikes music as much as I do but I don't dislike music I just feel that I'm not entirely into listening to it anymore if that makes sense I prefer to actually listen to pop When I'm driving, I prefer to listen to podcasts or audiobooks. I feel that it helps stimulate my brain. But (laughs) let's... (laughs) You're so posh. Thank you, thank you. But before we get into the top ten, I got a bunch of things that I need to say. The first is that we actually have an affiliate link with the company, The Coldest Water Bottle. Now, I'm sure if you watch YouTube, you've probably seen a million YouTubers with that bottle in their videos, and I'm super happy about it because I'm a big water drinker. I just thought that the design of them were really cool. They apparently can float. I haven't tested that out yet, but they keep your water really cold, so make sure that when you go to the Coldest Water Bottle um, website and you check out that you use the Nation affiliate code, that would be really cool but we also have a ton of other podcasts that you need to listen to the first being a new uh, affiliate of ours gutting the sacred cow I don't unfortunately have this feel in front of me because I'm trying to find it I'm just gonna have to email them again but uh, gutting the sacred cow you can find on all the major podcast networks as well as geek 5 nation now it's run by Kevin Goti and Kevin Israel who are two comics who basically what they do is they invite guests weekly to come onto their show and pick a movie to quote unquote gut this movie has to have either financial or critical success and the guest has to pretty much argue as to why they think this movie that by either financial or popular opinion is a good movie to them is a bad movie it's really fun. I was on it. The two Kevins are amazing. They're witty as hell. So make sure you check that out. You can find the link to all of their stuff on geek5nation.com. Another one of ours that we always like to kind of give a nice shout out to is Stranger Damies. And... I actually do have their script in front of me. I was able to find that. Um, but uh, Stranger, Davies is, <laughs> Stranger Davies is the ongoing real play D&D podcast from the main Danny family of podcasts. Join them every Wednesday as the wild, stout, wild stallions traverse May Traps and Tribulations that Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. There's elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to the 1980s than Ready Player One. Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Damies, and make sure you follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. Stranger Damies is also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find us at geekvibesnation.com. I will always say that you should also check out their other podcasts, They Call This a Movie, because that's equally as funny. I put it on par with Gutting the Sacred Cow, just because in They Call This a Movie, they take movies that are widely known as bad movies and just rip it to shreds, and it's just so much fun. I think... um, they recently did the Sylvester Stallone 80s movie Over the Top, which is one of those movies that I guess you would count as uh, so bad it's good. And the final show that we have to plug right now is Music City Drive-In by Ricky and Jacob. They bring you the latest in the world and film and prepare you for the next award season. Of course, there's like pretty much no awards out there, but so they go like year by year. Right. They'll do uh, 2010 nominees and they'll say who they thought should have won the Oscars that year, as opposed to those who actually won. Ricky's really cool. I had him on the last Geek Vibes Live and he and I pretty much just kind of went back and forth as how upset we were that Tom Pelfrey was not nominated for his role in season three of Ozark. So, yeah, make sure you check all that out. What did you say, Brittany? I saw that and I was like, well, she's going to be mad. I was so mad. I was so mad and Ricky was mad too. He was like messaging me privately about it and that's when I was like, do you want to just come on the show and bitch about it together? And he was like, yes. And I swear like Dom as well was upset. Um but he mostly was just kind of sitting there letting um Ricky and I go at it, you know, because we were just so so upset.
1: But like, <laughs> they feel strongly about this. And then he was like, wow, 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 whoa, whoa They really feel strongly about this. It was... Be-
0: I'm not even going to get into it. Tom Pelfrey did the most amazing performance ever. And I swear I think they only didn't give him the nomination because they probably only know him from Iron Fist. And even though he was really good in Iron Fist, Iron Fist, of course, wasn't well received by critics and fans alike, because they do shit like that. You know, they did that. There were people behind, apparently, the Academy Awards Committee who admitted that the reason why, like, Adam Sandler didn't get nominated for Uncut Gems is because Adam Sandler's past performances aren't Oscar material. So even though Uncut Gems' performance was Oscar material, they said that he didn't have Enough of a solid history to earn that uh, nomination,
1: and I'm like, it shouldn't matter, right? Yeah, what the? They're like, oh, it has to be. We want it to be um, high class. And like, he was great. You say what you want, but he's had like, even though like in the past, like it's not been great. He, most of his movies are ones that I think about fondly and go, that was a great movie. He was great in that. Have you seen Uncut Gems? I have not. It was
0: amazing. It was so not an Adam Sandler movie at all. His performance was really good, and it should have 100%. The movie should have been nominated, and he should have been nominated. He was definitely robbed. I watched it. Paulie and I, for a straight week, talked about the ending of that film because it shocked us that much, but... um. Yeah, we should probably get into the list right now. so sorry, Brittany. Let's hop right into it. Again, we are doing the top ten favorite novels. So give me your number ten.
1: I think for my number ten, just thinking about it, have you ever read, I always feel like I need to ask you first, but the book called Uglies. No, I haven't, actually, um
0: read that no
1: okay so this book is basically I I love it because I always love the setup of it because when I read this I was young right like I was very very young like like 14 15 right Mm -hmm. and the book is about it's like post apocalyptic but the world is back in order right and -hmm. there are two towns that like I can't remember what they're called but there's like the city of uglies and like the city of pretties and the whole Mm -hmm. thing is that beforehand before you're at the age of 16 you're considered ugly and you live like not really with your parents right you i think you're like taken away from your parents and you live in this place right and you're considered ugly and at the age of 16 you get to become pretty which means that you go under like this really intensive like cosmetic surgery and get to go live at with the pretties right which is basically like a party like like um think of i'm trying to think think of lexi right like it's just parties drugs like but, but like designer drugs that aren't really going to do anything to you but it's a good time all the time right mm-hmm. but um the story takes place with uh, I, I believe her name is tally right and her her best friend she's like really excited because she's about to turn 16 and her uh best friend which was a guy his name is Paris and he, you know, he gets turned pretty and he goes to live with the pretties and she really wanted to go visit him because she misses him. Well, she ends up meeting another girl named Shay, right? Well, Shay doesn't believe in becoming pretty. She wants to run off and there is basically a resistance to this, right? Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to think of how much to explain without giving too much away, but basically like, um, Tally and Shay become friends. Shay runs off to go join these people. And the head of basically like the secret organization, like uh, it, 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 it's like special circumstances, the head of special circumstances, she uh, tells Tally, like, you're going to have to go find your friend Shay. And if you don't, we're, we'll never make you pretty, which is basically to her like, oh my God, you know, that would ruin my life because you just, everybody wants to be pretty and uh because they even I remember there was like one description because there's like a big recovery period after it but like if you had imperfect skin they basically like sandpaper your skin until it heals perfect and smooth you know what I mean like it's very disturbing but when you're young and all you want to do is be pretty right It it does definitely put it in perspective like would you want to go through all this surgery and know that you're going to be absolutely gorgeous right and um without giving too much away there is a second book called pretties right where it does take place from that circumstance and then people are getting like like uh implants in their eyes so that like there's little like lights in them right uh, that their eyes can glow because it's always about the next best thing you know the trend setting of it right But basically, it's all surrounding Tally trying to find Shay, but finding out that maybe she doesn't want to be pretty. But because you find out later, I'm trying to think, I'll leave it at that because there's so much more to it of why it's bad to be pretty that they may not know. Because you do have to understand it's post-apocalyptic and why it would be better to let people just be pretty and dumb. Not saying that they're dumb because they're pretty, but things that the surgery could have done to them to make them complacent, if that makes sense. I
0: can't believe I've never heard of this. It sounds like almost when you were beginning to describe it, right, it almost sounded like The Giver, which was, you know... And then almost a combination between that and, say, some sort of Black Mirror sort of episode. I really like Black Mirror. You would love this book. I I like the concept of it because even though it sounds so extreme and I'm sure that the message behind it would be something that would be considered very unacceptable um, in today's day and age, it is something that you think about, especially as, say, a young woman, right? When you're, say, hitting puberty and looks are so important to you, right? So I can certainly see where that is coming from and why in, say, a young adult um, novel, like, that would be it, right? So I I like it. I like the idea of it. I just think that... I'm just shocked that I've never heard of it before. Did you have to read this for school, or did you find it, say, in the library or something? real
1: big whenever I was a kid. Like, and it has great reviews. I'm surprised there's not a movie made of this yet, right? Yeah, me because too. you too. I was going to say, you get the impression that the quote-unquote uglies, like, would just be like everyday people, right? They mm-hmm. just look like any of us. But, they're like, imagine... I'm trying to think of the word. I think the way they would almost imagine it is that, you know, how sometimes um, Korean plastic surgeries have become under fire because you see that, uh, like, they did, like, all these uh, pictures of women and they look exactly the same and have the exact same jaw and exact same, like, they're almost non-identical because they're getting this exact same surgery to all look the same, right? And how in that society it's very common that. My graduation party. I mean, a graduation president would be getting the jaw surgery to have a V-shaped jawline, or having the surgery to have double lids, right? Because uh, you know, like, like monolids, right? Which is very common, very beautiful in Asian women, right? And but in that, like with the surgery and everything, they want a double lid, right? Like Mm -hmm. a double it And that's why that had come under fire, like in media, Twitter, you know, you know how things go with that. Because people go, well, why do you feel the need to conform to that? You know, why do you feel the need to get the surgery? And I think that's kind of like with uglies and pretties, it kind of touches on that. Because, like, everybody's so desperate to turn 16. Because you basically have been fed basically been force-fed because you're being born to pretties right and then being taken away from these pretty parents and then going to send live in basically these communes right until you're 16 to be made pretty and you, I, I, as you read the books you understand but it's like i don't know it's pretty intense like it was pretty intense to read as a kid because Even as I was reading as, like, a teenager, you know, like, 14, right? I kept Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, my God, I would love to turn 16. I would love, like, because I knew in my mind that even though you knew it was wrong, you couldn't fault the character for wanting to turn 16 and have the surgery because if you knew that you would come out of it being, like, one of the most gorgeous people you could even imagine. And I think that definitely spoke to a teenager where you're, like, learning to accept, like, hey, you know, that's not healthy, you know what I mean? Well, even as a a
0: teenager, you can't wait to turn, at least here in New York, I know that it's a different law down there in Arkansas, but you can't wait to turn 16 because that means you'll be able to get your driver's permit, Right. And you'll be able to learn how to drive and then you can't wait till say you're 18 because uh, and you, you can't smoke wait so to- <laughs> later, you know <laughs> uh, you know so it's like when you- and then you obviously can't wait till you turn 21 because then you can start legally drinking but I, like I think that that Oh please, when I turned twenty one, every single birthday card was something even from my Aunt Cynthia, something akin to Congratulations, now you can legally start drinking. So (laughs) But yeah, no, I, I love the sound of this. I think it's definitely interesting. As I said before, I am at the point in my life where I'm more so listening to audiobooks but I'll definitely see if there's, say, an audiobook uh, version of Uglies because I do like the concept of it, and it'd be interesting to listen to. So great way to start off the top ten is Uglies. I'm going to hit number nine. Now, please know that I haven't read this book in a long time, since I was in high school, but it was one of my favorite books, and I'll tell you that because it was literally in my draw, in my bedroom, and I read through it constantly. I would go back and like skim to it, to my favorite parts. I, it was definitely a book that I internally brainstormed, and it's a book that I feel, Brittany, you would have loved, so please tell me if you've ever heard of this book. But it's called The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle i have i've i think I've heard of this, but I don't know this book okay, so it's about this young girl who has to get on this boat to Kind of meet up with her family in America. I think that's correct. Let me freaking look up the whole thing, the plot, to make sure that I am not freaking. Yeah. So it starts off in the early summer of 1832 as 13-year-old Charlotte Doyle prepares to take a voyage from Li- Liverpool, England, to her family's new home in Providence, Rhode Island. Right. And the whole thing is about this young girl who, lived, who grew up very prim and proper. She's not a dislikable character at all because of that, but she grew up fortunate in a very nice area, and she's very naive and being thrown onto a ship where she is literally the only girl on the ship. And essentially... It is her going from this naive character to learning more about life on top of, you know, on this ship, which is full of these really gruff men, all who have different personalities, some who obviously mean her harm as a 13-year-old girl, some who think of her as bad luck, others who are, you know, those rough guys with the heart of gold, and it's pretty much her just kind of learning not to be so naive and thinking that everyone is so fortunate in their life and I know that I'm not going to do a very good job in explaining it because it's been so long since I've seen it. But I'm telling you, Brittany, this is one of my favorite books of all time. I loved the whole, con- especially as a 13 or 14 year old girl uh, reading this book about this young girl being on this boat and having to deal with all of these very like rough men and quickly realizing that she doesn't have her family there anymore to hold her hand that not everyone's going to cater to her. There's not going to be these nice meals that are served to her. She's going to get dirty. She's going to have to learn how to work because she's put to work in on this ship. And it's just this whole story of her journey to meet back up with her family in America. And it's just such a good book. It's a young adult novel, obviously. It's not too long, right? It's a fairly short book but I just loved this book and I had to as I was sitting there I almost forgot the name of it and I I knew that it had something to do with Charlotte but obviously as soon as you put in Charlotte in the internet everything that comes up is Charlotte's web so I literally put the (laughs) uh, so I literally put book about girl on a ship and then suddenly it was like okay true confession of Charlotte Doyle and I just loved this novel. It was one of my favorites to go back and read and reread. and, as I said, I literally would fold the pages of say, my favorite scene so I can go back and there are a lot of characters that I love. there's like some cook. In the novel, I had like long hair, and he was really gruff, but he was nice, at least to her, and I, I really liked that. And there were moments in the book where she had to, say, prove herself because very quickly she wasn't going to be babied by all these men. She had to prove as to why a 13-year-old girl shouldn't be thrown overboard, pretty much. So I really liked this novel. I know that it's not... I didn't obviously give as uh, eloquent of a description as you did for uglies, but I really like True Confessions of Charlotte's Oil, and I'm so surprised, Brittany, that you didn't read this, because knowing you for as long as I have, knowing the type of stories that you like, this is right up your alley.
1: I know. As soon as you said that, I was like, well, maybe I should read this. And, you know, (laughs) even you talk about stories, because me and Tia like to write out stories, I was thinking, I was like, I'm gonna bring benny out which is you know a character <laughs> we've done a while i was like benny's coming out after this podcast i could already <laughs> well, I I did a great job describing it though, because you know it would be terrifying it makes me think of uh this book too like which i'm not going to get into because i can't even remember the name of it uh, but of uh, a <laughs> that knew how to read right and she gets onto a boat and pretends to be a cabin boy, but she grows up on this boat, goes through puberty on this boat. Her, uh, the other cabin boys she was raised with are all becoming men, and she's just, like, the same size. And, and you know, learning that there was a lot of men that did want to cause her harm, there was men that protected her. And, like, I love that book. So having that kind of experience from that, with hearing about it makes me think of Parts of the Caribbean when I can't remember what his name is where he goes, Having a girl on here is bad luck and you know when he's all upset it makes me think of that. Oh with with oh uh, with Elizabeth
0: Isn't he the character who
1: is always with Jack Sparrow? Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which I always find odd that he's basically a pirate, but for some reason he was there at the beginning of that. I don't quite understand. I get. I think the
0: whole thing is that he once was a part of maybe the royal fleet, but his life went in a very different direction that then caused him to team up with Jack Sparrow. You know your life is going in a bad direction.
1: (laughs) Sounds like another character we know, Jack Norrington. James Norrington. I was thinking of Jack
0: Jack Sparrow. My bad. (laughs) But yeah, so True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle. It's a really good young adult novel that maybe if I went back and read it, I would perhaps maybe feel differently about it. I don't know. I think it was so good um, as a teenage girl discovering her womanhood and all that jazz. It really just was a novel that I gravitated to and just continue to read so many times over and over again. So, yeah, that's going to be my number nine. Brittany, why don't you uh give us your number eight?
1: I feel like this should be higher up on the list. It was funny that you mentioned it a second ago because it was on my list and it should be higher, but I, I haven't. It's been a long time since I read it, and yes, I read it for school and everything, but I'm going to have to go with The Giver. Because I was going to
0: say, is it The Giver?
1: <laughs> my heart as a kid, but you know, I think it it's definitely speaks loudly, even for like the times that we are in now, where things are like like not saying it's always a bad thing, but things are becoming very, very politically correct where it makes you do be fearful of what is right or wrong or even what if we say something now that was acceptable at the time and now, you know, we fast forward into the future and suddenly that wasn't okay, right? And mm-hmm. with the giver, you know, in it, you know, people's the, uh, what's it called, the rots or something, rods or cones are taken out of their eyes so they can't see color, which you go, okay, that's great, right? But it, but it also makes me think of Fairly Odd Parents from when he's like, I wish everybody was a blob, and he's like, a great blob, and they're like, well, I'm blobbier than you, I'm grayer than you. And I always think back to that episode a lot, that, you know, because even if everybody was the same, people would try to find a way to not be the same, if that makes sense. And, oh, yeah. um, the giver, with uh, you know, basically everybody's trying to take the emotional depth out of their life. They're trying not to be t- too emotional, you know. Dreams are bad, you know. Everything is considered by like you have to be very plain. Like you just survive, right? You just survive and you work. Because even the main character, which I believe his name is Jonah, um, I'm gonna look real quick. So we have it brought up. His name was uh, Jonas. Uh, Basically, he's hitting that age where people are going to get a job. And it's assigned to you, like, depending on, it's not randomly drawn like other, there was uh, the book Spark, I think, where they did that where a job was randomly chosen for you. But um, he's given the, the job as the giver, I believe. I think that's what the job title is mm-hmm. and why it's called the giver. But the giver's supposed to help the community make decisions by knowing the past of their world, right? They're supposed to be the only one given kind of that emotional connection and that history to know how to do things. And, you know, there's even where I believe the giver, you know, he touches him, right? The The older giver, the one that's passing on because he is much older, right? And it's the first time he's really felt like this warmth, this sunlight feeling or the first time he's felt like, the joy of like crunching on snow for the first time with your feet and but then he does give him bad memories like I remember there's one where he's experiencing a soldier getting like his blood his leg blown up and the pain he felt and the desperation and the fear and learning to him like and and in those moments when he's given these feelings he can see the colors right and, mm-hmm. and to him that's so because you could you imagine seeing the world as gray, you see people that are colorblind getting those glasses for the first time, even though they can see color, but being able to see everything in their vibrant hues for the first time, they start crying. So I could only imagine what it'd be for someone seeing the world as gray, but... Um, realizing you know you have your family but your family is only really put together because this is the right way it should be uh there was a big scene i remember when we were reading as kids where he's having his first sex dream and he doesn't know how to deal with it and his parents give him pills to take to get rid of those dreams because that's not an acceptable thing to have to have sexual urges and just him going through his family. I think not even your parents or your parents, and that you're just kind of given a child. You yeah, know, and it, like they're all a sign. Oh yeah, because there's people that just give birth. Like that's their their whole job is as a birther, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the child, the child is deemed too emotional. This infant they have, and like the baby cries all night and. You know, the boy ends up, you know, giving that child some of those soft memories. The only thing hard is that every time he uses that memory on the child, it becomes, it fades for him. So it does become kind of dangerous, but as it goes on, he's just discovering his world isn't exactly the way it should be. And that, yes, it may be warless, but is it a life worth living to have things those ways, you know, is that kind of turmoil just a part of being alive and being a part of humanity and I found it so interesting and it was so sad and I remember like as a part of the book we were all given like a teddy bear and I I, and I always remember that because I also I gave that I remember I gave my teddy bear to uh because I think there was a teddy bear in it right there I almost positive there's like a teddy bear in it I might be thinking of another book but um And then we went to the nursing home, like, to a nursing home to visit because it was supposed to be like, oh, learn the, you know, the memories of the past. Learn from these older people. And, of course, they were so excited to have so many kids there. But I guess, like, I had such good emotional ties to that book and learning from it that I thought it was really great. I
0: don't know if you remember, but in The Giver, didn't they get rid of twins? If there was, if, if there are twins born, they took whomever was deemed, say the uh, what you call it, the the weakest, and then like just pretty much like threw them out. Essentially, I remember uh-huh. that from the book.
1: I, I don't remember that part, but it's okay to to give like I'm trying to think. Okay, the, there's going to be a spoiler alert here for anybody that hasn't seen it. Is I don't remember if it was the twins. I I, I don't remember the twin part. I'm sure it is, but um, there. If people people could choose to leave the community, right? Or if they yes. just wanted to leave, they could go there. But you find out which uh, the boy's father, or I think who raised him. I can't remember if it's like actually his father or just somebody that's placed there, right? He he's uh, in charge of, I think, taking care of these babies, and that's why they take in that infant to show, like, oh, can this child get better before they just let it go? Well, or, you know, do something about it. So the boy realizes... <sighs> I think he ends witnessing his quote-unquote father do it, but infants that are deemed not good, they end up, because since their veins are so small, there's, like, a large vein in the forehead... They inject something into their forehead, into that vein, and it it euthanizes these infants. And he's realizing that anybody that said, hey, I want to leave, right, are being euthanized instead of actually being allowed out of the city. And so with that infant, he realized that his father would have killed this infant. And that's why, uh, spoiler alert again, he 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 runs away with the infant because the father was going to kill it so i looked up
0: i literally typed in twins the giver and under the enotes.com it said twins are not acceptable in the community because having identical people would be confusing in the giver when identical twins are born, they are weighed, and the smaller one is released. The Release is a euphemism for euthanasia, which means that one of the twins is killed by lethal injection. I was like, I knew that that was something in it. familiar. I just didn't remember for sure. I also do remember the scene of when he was first discovering that an apple looked differently to him after he was made The Giver because he was discovering that he was seeing the color red for the first time. It reminds me a little of, remember the movie Ants? It reminds me a little of ants where, you know, you're either a soldier or a worker, depending on, you know, basically what, who knows what it was depending on. It's like, oh, you're born, you look a little bigger than the rest of the babies. Okay, you're a soldier, you know, something stupid like that. And I do remember that they all wore togas for some reason. Like, I think they all wore the same
1: outfits. It was very, yeah. The same outfits. And could you imagine getting a job as a birther and just giving birth for your whole entire life? No,
0: not at all.
1: <laughs> just even do it one time or two times. Could you imagine like, giving birth to like 15 freaking kids in a lifetime or more?
0: I mean, just ask that lady who had a TV show who had 20 kids.
1: I bet you she'd be like, I'd be great at that job. Um. <laughs> my grandma is like number twelve of twelve, and I said, "Oh, were you spoiled because you were a baby?" And my grandma was like, "When you're twelve of twelve, there's nothing left to give. Everybody's sucking your mother." My God. Okay. Yeah, I um,
0: I I I could never do that, ever, 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 never. but. Yeah, no, it's so funny that you picked The Giver. I think that The Giver, it, along with, what is the other book, along with, um, oh, God, Of Mice and Men and To Kill a Mockingbird, I feel that The The Giver is one of those books that you have to read when you're in school. Like, they automatically give it to you. I definitely remember reading The Giver. I think I was in eighth grade, Um and i don't know if i would say that i liked the giver i think i was neither here nor there with it i think that being in 8th grade was a little too young to read it i feel like maybe i would have appreciated more if i was say in high school or even college if that makes sense um just to kind of appreciate the 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 message that it was trying to give. You know what I'm saying?
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, sorry, sorry go ahead. And the other one, real on that note, is I wish I would have appreciated more, like, even just talking about it. I can go, man, I really see why they wanted us to read this, right? But, mm-hmm. uh. And then apparently the second book is called Gathering Blue, where it was kind of like Sparta, the weak, like a girl with a deformed leg, and you know, in a society that normally just left people out in the field to die. And I'm like, what's up with everybody killing the weak in these books? Like, what the hell? It's very Darwinism. <laughs> it's giving me like um, on a darker note, like with uh, World War Two and you know, with the Nazis and just being like doing that to not only the jewish or you know uh what they would consider because this word's not appropriate now i'm trying to think of romanian i'm going to use the word romanian because i couldn't i couldn't think of the word for a second but uh but they did it to anybody that was really like you know may have not been very genetically fortunate you know they just killed those people and i'm like okay it wasn't right then it's not right in these societies it's like uh but
0: apparently they keep doing it, so... They keep doing it, yeah. It's very... Um, it's just crazy. So definitely I think that The Giver belongs on this list, not only as, say, one of your favorites, but then obviously one of the great books that I believe every at least every American kid reads at when they're in school. So I'm going to get number seven. I feel... That my pick, I was going to put my pick a little, like, higher, but I feel like it's almost like a perfect accompaniment, if that makes sense. I don't even know if that's the right word, to The Giver. Um, And it's called uh, Anthem by Ayn Rand. Now, I love Ayn Rand books. She is the author of The Fountainhead, which is also another one of my absolute favorites. It's just I haven't read it in a long time, so I don't want to butcher that plot but she's also the author of Atlas Shrugged. She's just a fantastic um, novelist and I love the messages in her book. So Anthem, first of all let me say okay if you want to get into Ayn Rand you should definitely start with Anthem. It's the smallest of her books. The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged are quite large books so Anthem is a pretty easy read. So Anthem is all about the, it is a dystopian society where pretty much the world has been plunged into another dark age. Till, uh, technological advancement is now carefully planned, and the concept of individuality has been eliminated. So in this book, there is, there is no such thing as the word I or me. It's all we and they um, to pretty much get rid of individuality. It's no longer about yourself. It is about um, the community, but not in, say, like a good way. And that's the thing about Ayn Rand's books. It's all about being selfish and not in a bad way, but understanding that there's nothing wrong with individuality and being wanting to forge your own path and wanting to be different than say the rest. So that's what I always love. That's what her book, the fountainhead is about just kind of doing things like your own way. And so in Anthem, you have this guy and literally he's known as e- equality seven, five, no seven, two, five, two, one, you know? Um, so they don't even like have proper names. And the whole book is about him kind of getting on the outskirts of where he lives. And as he's kind of like walking around, realizing that he's thinking of these words in his head that don't make sense because he's never heard of them before. And the words that he's thinking of are I and me. And those words are banned. Like if you say it, you can get in a lot of trouble for it because they're that strict about wanting to squash individuality. So it's all about him just discovering himself and how it's okay to want to go your own way, to think for yourself, to not, you know, be told what to do. And the whole thing is just him discovering that, wanting to forge his own path and then eventually I guess spoiler alert, um, breaking away from the group to start his own society where it is promoted to use the words I, to use the word me, and to be yourself and be proud of being selfish. And again, not in a bad way. It's never supposed to be in a bad way. It's taking back the word and saying that, you know, it's okay to do that. And you should do that. You should think it's more so thinking for yourself only when you become say selfish and think for yourself, can you then really achieve what you want to and thus provide better for other people? Um, because in the story, the main character does love a woman and he takes her with him and, who teaches her all about the words i and me you know at first she's like what does that even mean you know what is that and it's like oh it, it's it's you it's me and she's like no we're we are they um and he's like no it's i it's me you know blah blah, blah like stuff like that and i just loved it like again what did you say
1: so that would be hard if somebody's like, "Here are these new words. This is your uh, self," because it, it, it's like, "What's me?" and it's like, "It's you." But what the hell is you? What is this? Like, <laughs> it would be too confusing. and that 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 would be hard because you gotta think like, "Yeah, we learn new words every day, but at least we have a tie to that word, right? Like something to like relate it." But that that would be hard.
0: It it would be hard, and. I just like, first of all, I I don't care. I really like Ayn Rand's whole entire um, philosophy in life. That's why I'm such a huge fan of her written work. And I think that's what I loved about Anthem. And especially because even when I read it, which was in college, it had seemed that the world was kind of going in a direction that it wasn't promoting individuality and I liked reading Anthem because it was showing that there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. You don't need to, you know, and you can adapt it to modern day, right? Uh, You don't need to get the, designer you know bag to be you know worth something you don't need to fit some sort of hair or fashion trend or anything like that instead you know be your own person it's just about like almost being unique and I think that the message behind it was something that I gravitated to a lot and I still enjoy it so Anthem is definitely going to be it and I thought that it went well with the giver because as you said giver is about the society that also squashes individuality whereas anthem is literally taking place in a time where they don't even know the words that are associated with one single person
1: you know what like i feel like this relates to uh, and it's like it's like my little tie into this that i find interesting about the individuality is Okay, so recently, you know, my whole head is pink, right, pink hair, and I've gotten such drastically different reactions. I get some people that are like, oh, my God, why did you do that? Why would you do something like that? And then I get the people that like, will stop me and go, oh, my God, that's amazing, right, and they just look so bright-eyed, and I realize that the people that are more okay with it, they almost seem like so much more happy. Like, I get little old ladies that are like, oh, my God, that's awesome, right? Really mm-hmm. old ladies. And then I get, and then the people that are like, oh, my God, would you do that? They, you know, they they have that, like, furrow to the brow. They're older, and they're like, you know, they seem so aloof, kind of grumpy, you know? And I'm mm-hmm. like, that is part. Of it. And I'm like, but can you say that you've seen anybody else around my small town with a whole head of pink hair? And it's like, it's interesting how some people love the individuality. They love that differentness and there's some people that are so opposed to it that it, it kind of re- relates my mind to something like this where it's like you know when you're just supposed to be us and everybody's supposed to be the same and you know it's all about the better good. You know there's some I you can see why that would be very um, <sighs> but I'm trying to think of the word not favorable but like, when something seems good to someone, and you can see why uh, some people would relate to that and go, well, that's a good idea. And I know that's, like, my random spiel, and I'm hoping that I'm, like, like, explaining this correctly, but it is interesting that you do find those that are more individualist and, like, wanting to find their own way do often seem much happier than people that do not. And I think that's kind of, like, a theme of, like, the giver and the others, like, Finding your own way is good in a lot of ways, and I think even you used to tell me when I was younger, I was like, I don't want to be selfish, and you're like, it's good to be selfish. Selfish isn't a bad thing to take care of yourself sometimes, as long as it's, like, in moderation. And to be honest, I always have had that mindset because of Ayn
0: Rand's work. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I was like
0: I read her other book, The Fountainhead, when I was in college. That was the first book that I read of hers. And I was so just, like, floored by how much – how and and she – her books were written back in, like, the 1930s, right? And so the fact that, like, she was writing this stuff back then was just so good to me, and that's what then made me want to um, read her other stuff, and that's how I stumbled upon Anthem, which, as I said, is a much – a much shorter book. So if you've heard of Ayn Rand and you've wanted to maybe get into her stuff, but perhaps um, the Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged are too much for you because they are quite big. Uh, Anthem is small. It's a quick and easy read and I just really loved it and I just love the message behind it. So yeah, uh, the Anthem by Ayn Rand, I will always enjoy Ayn Rand's philosophies and yeah. So there you go. Brittany, what's your number
1: six? I think I'm going to go with this one just because it will – I'm trying to think of the order I want to do this. Actually, I'm going to go ahead and go with this one. Uh, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief because my obsession with Greek mythology just freaking thrived with this book. Have you Now, have you read this one?
0: I haven't, but I've heard of Percy
1: Jackson before, like – the franchise because there's multiple right it's not just this yeah yeah there's multiple but the thing is is that people were so disappointed with the movie because this book is so loved and it's been a long time since i read it so i'm not going to be exactly clear but i'm going to give you like the cliff notes enough to maybe help you pass the book report (laughs) (laughs) thank you (laughs) you're welcome so basically, and I don't remember if the boy is orphaned. I, I think he may be orphaned, or he may be with his mother. I cannot remember this part. But basically, you have the boy, Percy, Percy Jackson, who always feels like he's a little bit different from everybody else, and he is dyslexic. He, he can't hardly read, you know, words, and, you know, he's, but as the story progresses, you're realizing he's a demigod. His father is a god in Greek mythology, right? And as things have gone through, uh, I think the gods have kind of moved around like American gods, right? And he's learning he's a demigod. And the reason he can't read is because he can only read Latin well, which, you know, because of the Greek gods. And so he's realizing this, right? Well, he ends up getting sent off to basically a camp for demigods. And there's different... There's different sections of this camp, right? And all these houses are separated by um, basically who their mother or father was because they're all demigods, right? And there's, like, uh, the house for... Aphrodite, right? All her her children are gorgeous and charming, right? And they're very full of themselves. Then, he, I can't remember which god had the most children, right? I think it's like Hermes or something. Like, you know, they just have so many children, like the house is overfilling. But they're all half-siblings, right? That's their, that's all their relation it's interesting because of how they're all different and it kind of reminds me of Harry Potter with the different houses because they're all similar, Right? But the thing is, is, uh, well, I think there's one place, like, you have to, to know who your parent is, you have to be recognized by the god. Like, you don't ever really see the gods, right? But it's kind of like a message is sent down, right? To basically say, I claim this child is mine. And they get put in that house, right? Or, like, put in that group of, like, oh, this is one of their children. Well, Percy Jackson is unclaimed. He does not know who his father or mother is. I think I think he knows it's a father, right? Uh, but I think those children get put in like another God's house, basically someone that was like, oh, I'll take in everybody basically. Uh, even though if that God doesn't claim them, it's just kind of a catch-all because that happens sometimes where the God will never claim them, the God or goddess. But I think Aphrodite, I think it was said, like is very fond of claiming her children. Um, but I, I'm trying to think. But um, well, a big problem is is that Zeus, Hades, and Poseidon, basically the three brothers, banned themselves from having human children, having demigods, because I think throughout history these demigods ended up being horrible, awful people. You know, they're too powerful, which, don't hold me to this. I could be getting confused. Like, somebody can ring me. I think one of their children ended up being, like, Hitler. Like, to put it in perspective, like, their children end up being way too powerful and way too influencing. But uh, one day, something happens, and uh, Poseidon claims Percy Jackson. And you learned this pretty early on. So oh, it's a huge deal because these gods aren't supposed to be reproducing, right? But Poseidon ends up messing up, you never—I don't think you ever really see Poseidon—that he claims Percy Jackson. The only thing about that is since these houses have never been open, like this part of the camp has never been open for all these years because they're not supposed to be having children. You know, he has to go exclusive in this place by himself. But. Um, It's basically, uh, I think the the reason why it's called the lightning thief is somebody ends up stealing Zeus's lightning. Uh, One of the demigods or somebody out there ends up stealing him. But as the stories progress, you are realizing that they can't be too upset because all of the gods have been but... It's so interesting to see it kind of coming into his own because most children that are in the cleanup have been raised their entire life knowing their genocide, while most of these children have been raised to him. He has no idea what disease is, but I want to fight. No one can help.
0: Brittany, your connection is going all like. Bad. Can you hear us?
1: I can hear you. It got very loud on you. It's very funky.
0: Very funky. I think it's all, like, the storms and stuff that are happening lately. But I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: But that, that was basically it. Were you able to hear me?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just wanted to, like, make sure that at least it was, like, clearer and stuff like that. But I don't know. It's... Crazy! I know that with Percy Jackson, right, people were super disappointed with the movie. Have you seen the movie? Were you among the people disappointed?
1: I've seen the movie. I don't really remember it. I was heavily disappointed. But, like, okay, to put it in perspective of how much, especially, I think why this book was also so popular is it was so so popular and not to just like make it part of one gender or anything but guys that may not have loved reading and it was really hard to get them to read or even girls were obsessed with this book I remember my ex-husband who is dyslexic you know never read never read and I remember in school he was obsessed with all these books it was the only book I had seen him actually fight through actually read every single book And I was like, oh, my God. And that's why I started reading. I remember that's where I borrowed this book from. And I think when it's good enough that even people who can't read very well are actually trying their best to actually read it because they love the plot so much or maybe they relate to a character with dyslexia and feeling like, oh, you know, the mythology of it. And feeling like, oh, this is going to be so good. Because people love mythology. That's why American gods did so well. You know, people love to hear these stories. That's why, you know, these religions were even here in the first place. Or these mythologies even came to be. It's because people's obsession with them. And to have a book, basically, about all these demigods, just basically dealing with shit. Um, I remember there's one girl. um, Who is the goddess of, like, war? that's, like, really, like, of hunting?
0: Uh, I feel like in it's... Which, a, in which religion?
1: <laughs> in Greek mythology. No idea. <laughs> but I remember she has, like, a daughter, and, uh, you know, she's really good at fighting, right? But she is so mad, so mad, because the boy, like, you know, he's suddenly a natural at everything, and she's basically like, screw you. You know, I've tried my best, but it's because his father is Poseidon. And I think it's like, he's basically like an OP character living in this world.
0: (laughs) No, I love the description of it. Like, you make me definitely want to go and read this book and absolutely never watch the movie. Just because, um, as you said, I've heard that plenty of people dislike the movie, but I like the idea that I would have no idea that these Percy Jackson novels had anything to do with Greek mythology or something like that, so you really make it very um what you would call it appealing to yeah, to someone who's never even read a book, even a page of this
1: yes. Like, it was just really, really good. I've been wanting to reread it because I think they ended up making a play out of it. Kind of, like, with Beetlejuice and everything. I don't know if it was Broadway, exact per se. But they ended like, I ended up listening to some of the music of it. And I was like, oh, my God, if they would just make a good movie of it, a remake. I'm telling you, if they could make a good remake. And I think also there was such a push because this was when um, – the Maze was coming out, or, you know, all these book-related movies were coming out. I think they, they I think they pulled a DC. I think they tried too hard to cash grab it. I the, They all are like how they did The Last Airbender. I think these all around came out at the same time. I think there was just too much of a push, and they ruined these book-slash-movies. Those bastards. Don't you hate when that happens? Oh, I know, because there's another book on this list that I'm so fucking pissed about. (laughs) That was, I love that. I waited years, years, Tia. I need to just vent to you for a second. There's a book that I remember that it said, soon to be a motion picture, and I waited years, and it finally... Finally, I found it because I don't know if it just didn't come to all theaters or what. It was awful. It was awful, and I cried. That's how upset I was. Oh. So, so just so you know, I'm salty. I'm salty,
0: yes Very salty. I, 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 can't wait to get it then. But um, I can't wait to get to that then. But yeah, so number six is Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, right? I got that correct. Yeah. Awesome! Awesome. Okay, so I'm gonna get number five, and I feel weird putting this on because it's. I will forewarn you, right? It is a depressing book, um, but I like. But I like it so much because of to me the story was very unique, and I liked how they went with it, and the fact that they were able to make it this really say like. Uh, well-rounded book that had, you know, a message to it. So the book is called Johnny Get Your Gun, and it is a anti-war novel, right? And it it did come out with a movie that I never saw, and it actually is the inspiration behind Metallica's uh, song One and all that. So Johnny Get Your Gun is it. I don't know necessarily if it's a real life sort of, like if it's, you know, inspired by real life. Apparently the author did read a newspaper clip. He says that he claimed he read a newspaper clipping of someone like a victim from World War One, and he was inspired to – write this novel, but as I tell you about this novel, I'm pretty sure that there's no way that this person actually survived, so I think that it was hevi- heavily fictionalized, if not entirely fictionalized, so Johnny Get Your Gun, the main character's name is not Johnny, let me say that um, okay. it's, a common, it's a common like war phrase, you know like Johnny Get Your Gun, so it takes place um, during World War well, it's World War I and it's about this soldier who, you know, he decides to do his American duty. He's a young kid, and it's all about Uncle Sam, you know, wants you and blah, blah, blah. And he goes to war, and he pretty much steps on the landline. And he loses everything. And when I say that, I mean everything. He wakes up. He cannot see. He cannot hear so you you so you find out he literally lost all of his limbs. He lost his eyesight. He lost his hearing. He lost his nose. And he lost his mouth. Um, he is pretty much just this, like, body, not even a body, on a table that is somehow being kept alive, um, somehow has kept alive. But he is pretty much encompassed in this eternal hell. Because he cannot see, cannot hear, he can't talk, he can't smell, he can't move his arms or anything, he can't communicate at all with the outside world, he doesn't know at all what's going on. So the book is all about not only his, obviously his fear and him trying to figure out what the fuck is going on pretty much but also his memories of him before the war, meeting a girl, things like that, the life that he had before he went to war. And again, it is a big anti-war book, all about pretty much the life that he would have been able to have if he had never gone and fought overseas. And throughout the book, him kind of almost accepting his role and accepting what happens to him, he finds out this young nurse finally comes to him and they're able to communicate with each other because he found out that, and again, it sounds like bad, but by banging his head against the table, he can bang it in Morse code to be understood by others. And this young nurse starts, um, like, pretty much not writing, but, you know, using her finger and motions of letters on his chest to figure out a way to communicate with him. So it's like he's able to find this means of communication. And and I guess this is a big spoiler alert for the end of the movie and all that. I'm not movie. Wow. We're so used to doing movies that for the end of the book, um, she, he, um, says in morse code that because pretty much they they ask what they they ask him like what do you want us to do with you pretty much and he says that it's his, and again all through morse code and he says that it's his desire to be taken around the country to be shown to others that this is what happens to people in war that this is the effects of war and that it's a harsh reality. It's not this, you know, big, glorious thing that they try to tell you in order to get you to join, that he wants to pretty much be a cautionary tale for people. And the doctors tell him no. They're like, that can't happen. We're not going to do that. And so the book really ends with him doing this Morse code and the doctors are like, well, what's he saying? He's just saying, kill me over and over and over again, and that's how the book ends, and I know it's depressing, but it's just that I had never read a book like that before, and just the whole message, the way it was written, uh, how it went back and forth from him discovering, and you would just, him all being in his head, you wouldn't think that, you know, it's not this huge action book or anything like that, it's just all these thoughts pretty much and i don't know so that's it it's johnny get your gun and um, what do you think brittany i'm sure you're depressed
1: <laughs> i'm pretty depressed i, I gotta say though this sounds so familiar to me and i think it's because there is a movie made after it called johnny got mm-hmm. his gun and i feel like i've seen scenes from that where he's just banging his head mm-hmm. like oh, with this when he's basically saying kill me and it's so depressing, and it's like, and I think it's definitely hard, because it's like, I think especially because this was, it came out in 1939, I think you said, right? Like, the 1930s, this book? Yeah, I,
0: I did say it wrong. It's not Johnny Get Your Gun, it's Johnny Got His Gun. I think the, the, the expression is Johnny Get Your Gun, or something like that, so... Yeah, it's Johnny Get His Gun. It was uh, written in nineteen
1: thirty-eight. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, especially I think it became such a big deal because they uh, they made that movie, but the movie was in the nineteen seventies that the movie got mm-hmm. made. So you know, obviously Vietnam War, and I think it is important because there was such anti-war feelings at the time, and it's crazy because. Uh, I try and think of the word for this. I can see something like this happening. Like, I knew um, it's amazing what people can survive because I know a guy personally who uh, I think he was in Iraq. He got his, uh, the truck he was in ran over a landmine and he was pronounced dead for a good while. Like, both of his lungs collapsed. And now he's just, he moves around good. I mean, he's like fine, but it's like amazing what the human body can survive after like basically coming back from the brink of death but i always found something like that would be so horrifying because you know isn't that like not exactly the same but like with helen keller you know can't can't speak can't see can't hear like to me that's just the worst because it would be so isolating yes so isolating because sometimes like have you ever sat there and just tried to close your eyes and like feel your way around the house? It's hard. It's hard, especially, you know, when people, they adapt, right?
0: And then mm-hmm. I go, well, at
1: least you can hear. Well, imagine you can't see and you can't hear. Well, okay. You go, well, I can speak, you know, I can at least say what I want. Right. But then you mm-hmm. take that away. It's like, what do you do? What do you do? Like that to me sounds almost like, you know, um, in Dante's Inferno, I feel like that would have been a torture in there. Like that seems so scary, and I can see why he would want to be on display because there is those anti-war villains where you, you go, you know, decisions made by old men, you know, with the war that eats their young, and I, that's definitely for World War One where. Especially in World War Two, you know, where America had much more of an involvement, because I don't think America came into World War One until the end. I love history, yeah. but, but World War Two, where you had sixteen-year-olds, you know, faking their, you know, their birth certificates, basically, uh, trying to look taller, trying to like be fat, you know, trying to look like a man so they can get sent off, because that's what they're seeing all these men do, and to them, well, it almost, look what you know,
0: Steve. Look what Steve Rogers
1: did to get I know, into. It's so thing. It's so thing. But you know, that's the thing, though, is you know through like years hundreds and hundreds of years and I, And this isn't like an, an agenda I'm just saying like this is the way it does come off seeming it's like you have all these young men and it gets glamorized you see the movies where they're very heroic and you know they're going to go do this and you know hats off to anybody that joins the military and yeah, really wants to protect and have those feelings but the, it is a problem where you see very young people, it gets glamorized to them, and they go, well, I want to be a hero, but not fully knowing the horrible conditions they're about to go into and fully realizing how bad those situations are. So it's it was honorable that in the book he would want to be shown off, but of course the military wouldn't allow that because they're going to be like, they're like, wait a second, that's not you know good, and I think it's just, it's definitely interesting.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to say here that I definitely respect any man and woman who decides to make that decision. This is not, I didn't pick this book to try to push any sort of, um, you know, rhetoric. No, 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 for those who are listening, but, you know, you can't say that these, you know, these decisions aren't made by the smaller people. These decisions are made by people up top, and we're just a product of all of that. So I I liked the book a lot. Um, I wanted to read it because, as I said, one. So you know, the rock band Metallica. One of their most popular songs is called "One," completely inspired by the book. I have the lyrics in front of me. I'll just tell you the last ones, right? Because it's the whole uh, song. Is pretty much this, right? It's all about it. But you know, uh, the last thing is landmine has taken my sight, taken my speech, taken my hearing, taken my arms, taken my legs, taken my soul, left me with life in hell. You know, so I did this research on the on the song, and it said this is what it was inspired by. I had the time, um, I think I was like what twenty three or something. Decided to read it. And it was just, I don't know, it was just really powerful to me. And I think that's why I always um, would consider it on a list of favorite novels, even though certainly nothing about it was very happy. But um, I don't want to dwell too much on the depression here. But, yeah, so Johnny Got His Gun is uh, one of my favorites of all time. You should definitely check it out if you feel like being depressed. Uh, Brittany, what is your number four?
1: (laughs) I'm gonna go with um, I, it's hard because I feel like I, I will explain why well my number one is my number one later on, but I'm gonna go with Ink Cart because I remember I have such good feelings about this. By the way, this is the movie that got turned into I mean the book that got turned into the movie that I hated so bad and it was oh, so, Okay, this <laughs> is it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is what you got to understand is, so, the number one that I'll, I'll talk about in a minute was the first book I had truly read with. Like, on my own, when, and like, to me, books seem so huge, and I didn't even know at that point that I could read best right? Mm-hmm. I didn't even know I had a love of reading until I read the one that was on my number one, and as soon as I, I finished it and everything, or started reading it, and I was waiting for the next one to come out, I remember I went to my library, and I this I have to tell the story with it because it always makes me happy I can't remember her name but I loved her and it makes me sad I can't remember her name offhand there was a librarian and I remember I just wanted to hang out with her I just wanted to hang out with her she was super old and I think she's still alive today but she was really old back then so there's no telling how old she is now but she was just this amazing woman and everybody always thought she was so mean but it was just because she was an adult and it was middle school right or like no it was middle school so uh i would go out and hang out with her while i waited for the bus to come every day because i knew when my bus would come and i said i really want to read a book can you tell me a book i should read and she picked out ink and i remember like i just soon passed it and I i came back the next day and i was like i gotta have more and she was like that book was like Six hundred pages, kid. I I think it was that. It was a thick book. It's a thick book. I gotta see how many pages it was again. But I remember she just looked at me, and I remember those good times hanging out with her. She even gave me like a really nice, like metal bookmark when I came from the middle school to like junior high. And I was like, like, like a remember me type thing. And she was always so sweet. But Inkheart was so good. Sorry for that story with that. I just have like that emotion to the book, you know, that yeah. kind of leads into it. But ink Heart is about this girl named Maggie who's being ra- raised by her father, which well, she doesn't call him dad. I think she calls him Mo. His name is Mortimer. And you know, she's lived alone. She doesn't have a mom like that. She lives with her father. Their, their home is always covered in books because her dad's a book binder, which I think that takes place in like Europe because it's very not American with like the setting right mm. and one day uh a, a mysterious man shows up named dust Finger, and he's basically wants to talk to mo and it's like apparently these two know each other but dust Finger's kind of you know he's got an odd name right you know he's very eccentric and they say then the next day mo is like we we gotta go we're gonna go visit your aunt uh, i think her name is eleanor who also loves books. And the whole thing is this love of books. And, you know, even Maggie says, in it, she's like, I hate when people bend pages and books because she wanted them to be perfect. You know, and no, no, her father hated it, I think. I think she was the one that was dog-earing books. I remember she called it dog-earing when you fold the page, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they, she she had heard her father and Dust uh, Fingers talk about a man named Capricorn, right? And they go there, well, fast forward basically, like, and this is kind of like the spoilers, but it's kind of like in the first quarter of the book, but I feel like I need to explain it, is Mo has an ability that he can read characters out of books. And the whole thing is that I remember now that, like Maggie says that, you know, there was a time that I think she remembered her father would read books to her, but now she, he would never read books out loud, right? And it's because he had this ability to read characters or things out of books. But the thing is, is that he could read things into books. And that's what happened to her mother. It was completely accidental, right? But mm-hmm. her mother ended up going into the book. And, you know, but the thing is, he accidentally read out the biggest villain of this book that he read, right? And I think it was called Inkheart because I think the character in that book Said to have a heart as black as ink. Well, Capricorn's in this this normal world because this was basically like a like a fairy tale book almost. You know, there's magic and fairies and you know all these things. Well, Dustfinger was in that book too, but he so desperately wants to go home. He misses the fairies, and the thing he's called Dustfinger is because I think he could like make fire with his fingers, so his fingers were always dusty with soot, right? And mm-hmm. he can't do any of those things here. He, it's like imagine like something being in such a magical world and then being thrown into our world. I would be depressed. I'd be like, this shit sucks. I don't know what cards are, but Capricorn is that villain, right? He you knows that he's thriving in this world. That he basically has like his own commune, and there he's really wanting to find. uh He's really wanting to find Mo. I'm trying to remember what the guy's name was. they uh I think it's like Bessar. It's like it sounds like Bastard, right? Like that's <laughs> how I always remember. Uh, I gotta look it up in a second what his name was, but he's basically Capricorn's right hand man and ends up finding them, captures them, brings them to Capricorn, right? And it's such like it's this the fear of it that because I think Capricorn was wanting to Mo to basically read out more of these, uh, more of his basically his henchmen to have more men of his in this world. Because he hated fairy tale things, anyways. He would kill them. Like he hated this thing, so he liked this world so much better. Well, the whole thing is is though I think. Oh, that's what it was. Capricorn's burning every copy of that book he can ever find, ink because he never wants to be read back. But he keeps one copy for himself so that Mo could read these out and everything. But it has such, like, a good, like, scary feeling. Because I remember this one part scared me so bad when I was a kid. Like, you ever read something that gives you chills? And I just remember, like, Capricorn, like like squeezing her arm like maggie's arm because it was such like in the book like the ages were much younger for you know marriage in that kind of old-timey fairy tale world and how creepy that was to me being a young girl reading it i remember it's like it was scary it was scary to me but it was so magical right But um, the thing is, is, like, there's another character you find out that can read things out, but he's so nervous because of Capricorn that sometimes when he reads people out, they come out kind of deformed, like a squashed face. I remember, like, it was so descriptive. It was why I loved being so descriptive when I wrote, because it said, like, oh, his face looked like it had been squished in with a thumb, right? Like, and just things like that, I just loved it. But the reason I hated the movie so much... It's like, they're like, oh, when things get read out, they have like the words like tattooed across their body. That was never a thing, Tia. They never had the words of it written or tattooed on their body. There was never any of these things. And they skipped so many big parts. And it was like, it was just, it was horrible, Tia. It was horrible.
0: I was going to say you have to tell me, like, why you hate the movie so much, but, yeah, I I hate when they they go, like, obviously, there's always going to be differences, right, you know, there always is going to be creative liberties, but don't do one that's just so, like, there's no reason for it, right, what was the reason to have that, there is no reason, so I, I feel you with that, but... I love the way you described this. Um, I I like this. First of all, you reminded me of, um, I want to say this really quick. Brittany is a fantastic writer, and I wish that she would write more because she is a marvelous uh, novelist here. Um, Just wanted to point that out there. But you are a really good writer, and I like that. This book essentially um, inspired you to be pretty descriptive with your writing.
1: It was just so good, and it was like I—I re- I, it was like I remember. I didn't re-read books. I read this one like six times. Like it makes oh me go. Find it it's it's five hundred fifty-six pages. I just looked it up because I had to remember because it's a chunk of a book. Like you could hurt somebody with it but uh, it was one of the first real books I like huge books I had read and realizing like oh my god I'm hungry for them you know I was like I remember she like picked up and was like you need to read this one and I was like oh my god and I just told her how much I loved it and it was ah, it was so good to you but oh by the way so the movie sucked right like I can't remember all the reasons I hate it. Besides, like there was things that they put in there that never happened. Characters looked weird. They skipped over some people. But you know who you know who's in there? Yo man, Brendan Fraser. He was the I think oh. he played. Ma-
0: <laughs> I love I Brendan like, Fraser. Yeah. It yeah, automatically I, it automatically is a good movie if he's in it.
1: <laughs> like. Oh, let me put this in perspective for you, okay? Uh huh. They made sixty-two million. They only pulled two million off
0: of this movie. Oof, that's not good. That's not good. That like didn't
1: really cover anything there. So yeah, um, they yeah, they made like they, they the budget was sixty, and the, they made sixty-two million. So you know they only made two million off of there, and I'm like, oh my god.
0: Well, hopefully, if the studios do decide to tackle Inkheart again, they get someone who is an actual fan. Because that's the thing. Most of the time, people who tackle these adaptations aren't real fans, or at least at one point. I think they're getting people who are now more passionate about these projects. But it's just all about someone who never even really probably read the book, and then they're supposed to be making a movie out of it, and they just completely have no idea what the hell is at the heart of the story. But um I think Inkheart definitely deserves to be on this list. I love your description of it. Um, it sounds like a really good novel that, you know, a real reader, if that makes sense, would really enjoy. So anyone who's listening, please let me know if you've ever heard of Inkheart and what you think and if you also hate the movie as much as Brittany does. But, um... Let's go to number three. So my next t- so my next two are essentially, you know, then be- were adapted, right? But yeah. that's not entirely why I'm picking them. I did like the book as a separate entity from either the movie or TV show. And I wanted to say that I was going to put Game of Thrones on this list. It's not on this list. I was going to put it, but I haven't finished the books, but I did read the first book. And George R.R. R. Martin is a fantastic writer. He's very descriptive, a very good story driven person. But my number three is going to be American Gods by um, Neil Gaiman. Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, obviously, Now, Brittany and I are big fans of the series American Gods, but so when season two ended and obviously we knew that we were going to have some time before season three, especially now it looks like we're going to have even more time before season three because of COVID. And I decided to purchase the audio book for American Gods and listen to it to kind of I don't know, get the gist of the story. Where does it go? And it was very eye-opening to what the possibility is for the actual show. I don't know if they're going to go in this direction, but... um, So, I mean, it starts off pretty much just like the show. Um, You have this character, Shadow Moon, who was in jail. He finds out that his wife was... uh, killed in a car accident, he gets released a few days early, and he meets this very eccentric gentleman named Mr. Wednesday. You eventually find out that Shadow Moon has been thrusted into a world um, that is completely insane because he lives amongst gods. Gods are a real thing from all different sorts of religions. They are pretty much sustained by the beliefs of others, You have all these gods that came over to America because the people who believed in them brought them over. But now that people don't believe in those sort of gods, they are just pretty much left in America weakened and sad. Um, And then you have the new gods such as technology, media, and Mr. World, who is globalization. And Mr. Wednesday, who is really Odin, a war god, wants to start a war with the the new gods and all that jazz. And it is pretty much, I will say, someone points this out and they are right, Shadow Moon is very much less confused in the book than he is in the show. Um, This is not so much of a spoiler because they did show this in the um, Season 2. In Season 2, Shadow Moon puts the connection that Mr. Wednesday is his father. Now, I will say in the book, he makes that discovery much later in the book, right? But yeah. um, I will say that there are a few things that I like that the show did better, simply because characters like Matt Sweeney um, had a very, very, very short um Uh, spotlight in the book as opposed to in the show where he was featured a hell of a lot more. But I have to say I liked Laura Moon in the book more. She is more so of Shadow Moon's uh, protector and almost the angel, say, on, like, his right shoulder than in, as opposed to in the show. I don't mind the direction they went in the show now, but I she's certainly, people hate Laura Moon, right? Like, from the show, and I think they would be less inclined to hate her if they read the book version of her. But, so, and they're typically, like,
1: heard she.
0: oh yeah, I mean that was always there. That's always right. there, but she's, but she's more, like, um, just ethereal in the book than she is, say, in the TV show um Chernobyl is a huge part of the book like they don't put that really in the show like yeah he shows up in the second season but he's like what in one episode of the first season in the book it's um the main characters are Mr Wednesday Chernobyl and Mr. Nancy, which, again, makes no sense that the showrunner of season three got rid of Mr. Nancy, because I'm like, so you're pretty much ignoring the fact that he is literally one of the main characters throughout the entire novel. Um, In the novel, the character Loki is shown more, and he's only teased once in the actual show, um, I don't know if you even remember him, but he's the character in the jail with Shadow Moon who is telling him about, uh, don't, you know, don't uh, be nice to those quote-unquote bitches at the airport. <laughs> um, Loki has definitely a more, a bigger role. Loki has a much bigger role in the book. I think I told you this, Brittany, what the actual twist is. Are really scary, Loki?
1: Right What'd you say? I said he's kind of sleepy again. He's giving me Weasley vibes. Well, so in
0: the show, you know, he's only in one of it in the uh book, you know, Loki is in Loki's in the book quite a bit and has a huge connection to um to Mr. Wednesday. And so I like the book, right? Because I also like with the new gods, it's more of a categorization as opposed to say one individual person, as opposed to in the book where there's just one technical boy, one media, one Mr. World in the book, it represents a group, all the technical boys, all the representatives of media and the and mr world i think is always one singular uh god but that gets even crazy but i and they do things differently in the book right in the show in the second season is when they go to the house on the rock and but in the book they go to the house on the rock first and then the situation at Easter's house happens next, and Easter is quite a big character in the book, which we don't see that in the show due to reasons. But I like in the book, you find out what uh, what Odin's actual plan for Shadow Moon is, the reason why he decided to seek out Shadow Moon, because in the in the show right now, it really doesn't make sense, like. Why does he necessarily need Shadow? Like, yes, okay, that's his son technically, but why does he need Shadow in this war? Well, you find that out in the book, Um, and I'll just say this. It's pretty much to keep Odin alive, but in the process is going to kill Shadow, um, but so that's the whole reason why Mr. Wednesday even wants him around. And you know, you meet a lot of folklore people who I don't know if we're going to meet, but you meet a lot of like Native American folklore. You meet just so many other characters that we haven't met yet. And don't get me wrong. I like certain things that they did in the show. Um, I like where they went with Bill Quist because Bill Quist has a very short, she also has a very short run in the book um, she's killed off quite quickly um, really
1: good, and I, she's beautiful?
0: she's do you know who she's killed off by this is full spoiler sorry everyone that's all, but we already I see that. It's, but your different. whole talk has been spoiler my whole yeah uh technical boy kills Billquist in. The book, but she also then puts a curse on Technical Boy, which makes Technical Boy go crazy. And Technical Boy is much different in the book because the book was written in like the early I, late 1990s, early 2000s, when like the typical uh computer kid was like the heavy set kid with acne who wore a black trench coat and sat in his mother's basement, you know, all day on the computer and shit like that. Uh, yeah. So that was like what technical boy looked like. So I'm just saying American gods, the book is very interesting in the fact that it's, I understand a lot of the changes. I'm happy with a lot of the changes, but there are some things that I wish that they did keep. Like I am sad that Chernabog doesn't have as big of a role and they maybe made Laura moon a lot harder in the show than they did in the novel and at the same time though but at the same time I am glad that they went with certain changes like giving Matt Sweeney a shit ton of screen time. In um in the book there is no uh uh was it Baron Samity? There's none of that. And, you know, that was like one of my favorite characters in season two. So, you know, I am happy with some of the things that they decided to go with. But yeah. Brittany, I know you didn't read the novels, but I know that you've watched the show.
1: <laughs> I was to say, it makes me want to read, read the book. I'm afraid that I'll either be like, I'll end up disappointed in the book or disappointed in the show or if I'm going to be able to love them separately. But I guess it's like, I love stories like this. I love mythology. I'm obsessed with mythology. I don't know Norse mythology as well as the only thing, but I love a lot of other mythologies a lot and learning about them. So to see them kind of like in the, the like IRL version of it, like modern times, it would be interesting because you would have to think how would those gods adjust to say how things are now because... Back then, you know, it was such a fear of like, oh, what would the gods think of this? We have to sacrifice a virgin. And nowadays, it is very—we are a society that's not as belief-based anymore. We lean more towards science and reason for a lot of things. So you have to wonder: the gods are probably like these ungrateful little bastards. <laughs> I did X, Y, Z, and they're over here. But that's why Technical Boy ends up being such a powerful person, though. You know what I mean? Like it is interesting why you do have these new gods in the first place.
0: Well, and in the book, like, okay, so Mr. World has his own sort of agenda that you find out later in the book as to why he has his own sort of agenda, but media and technical boy are so, like... I mean, Techno boy always has this bit of a snobbiness where he thinks that he's better. That's just not going to change. But they're more so just doing their thing, whereas the older gods are really kind of revere Mr. Wednesday as their leader, more so in the book than, say, in the show. I feel like in the show they all know that he's bullshitting and are all trying to find their own way. But in the book, they really view him as their leader. And it is really interesting what I will say I was a little disappointed by the end of the book, finding out, say, what the whole reason for the war actually was. And I thought that it could have um, gone in a different direction, so we'll have to see what happens with the actual series. But I did like it. I know that I'm rambling on this one. I just I love that there were so many characters. I love that we got to have this sort of world. And I, as you said, I love the mythology of, and I love the idea of the fact that all these gods do exist, and it's because of people's. Um, Not, you know, maybe their imaginations, their, you know, ideas, their belief systems that have kept them going for so long.
1: It's the power of belief, I guess you would say. And I kind of like that it does that. It kind of gives me like the extreme version of like Tinkerbell, you know, like with the if you believe, you know. Like with uh, Peter Pan, but like a much more serious, dark version. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: There is at one point in the novel, I don't think this is a spoiler at all, but again, as you said, my whole thing has been spoilers. But there is at some point towards the end of the novel where it's like a little excerpt in the middle from the author where it's like, obviously the story is fictional. There is no such things as gods and goddesses. But if there were, this is how the story would continue. And then it's like, you know, then it goes to, like, the next page or something like that. Pretty much kind of saying, like, this whole thing is fictionalized, obviously. Like, this doesn't even exist in the novel world. Um, I just thought, I don't know, that was just
1: interesting in a way. I love things like that. I love it when authors can have that kind of fun, too, with what they're writing.
0: Absolutely. So... Um, So, American Gods is my number three. uh, Brittany, we're down to the last two, and number two is technically your number one. So, what do you got? I feel like I know what it is. Get, hang on, are the initials HP?
1: Yes, and I'm not I know. <laughs> sure that girl. I. Th- this is why I always have to give the disclaimer for it, right? Harry Potter is huge it's been huge movie wise it's been huge book wise franchise the amusement parks the themed items everything right they would think for a reason but like this is why i have a, a, like such like a deep attachment to this book is when i was before i had even like read read a book right i remember mm-hmm. I went, I want to be cool, I want to read a book, and I want to show that I can read, like, a big girl book, right? Like, something sizable, not like these. Because, you know, i that age. I can't remember how young I was. It's, like, where you were having, like, those little 20-page, thin, thin books, right? And yeah. I remember I picked up the book, and I read, like, a couple of pages, and I was kind of like, okay, you know, like, not really fully getting it. And then I had put it down few weeks went by, picked it up again and I remember I read it like front to back in like a day. Right? Like uh Sorcerer's Stone. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so good and I was so proud. I was so proud of myself. And then I read the second one. And then I remember I think at that time there was only two books and then the third was about to come out. That's what it was. The third was about to come out I beg, begged, begged mom, please can we go to the midnight release? took me to the midnight release i have been to every freaking midnight release of that book every Uh, single one of them except for like the first two obviously you know what i mean and i mm -hmm. remember like everybody and i remember the excitement of everybody sitting at walmart just waiting for it to release everybody grabbing their book and i had such a fear that there wasn't going to be enough but there was always enough right but Mm -hmm. it for me, like, the magical world of it, and I'm I'm putting the series as a whole, but Sorcerer's Stone was really, which, I can't remember if they called it Philosopher's Stone or Sorcerer's Stone, I gotta see, I think in the book world, they called it Philosopher's Stone, but I think in the other, let me see, let me look for you real quick, but, but, I don't know, it was always so magical, and the thought of, like, someone being normal and then just being swept off I think it kind of fed into, you know, when you're a kid, right, and you just want to be, okay, I had to see real quick, the book is called, and, in the Sorcerer's Stone, okay, okay, it goes in between, I think they originally called the book Philosopher's Stone, but maybe there was some kind of trademark on that.
0: Yeah, I think that's what it was, because then they, didn't they even change, like, the artwork for the book
1: or some shit like that? I think so, because, like, in another story, there is a philosopher's stone, right? Mm -hmm. But now I can be less distracted explaining this, because that was bothering me. I was like, I don't remember which one they called it, because then they changed it. But when I read it, I believe it's not the philosopher's stone, right? Mm -hmm. Well just for I think when you're a kid and around that age and you feel like life is boring or normal and you have the the character being normal right and straight up abuse which I wasn't abused but you know being abused by these people and suddenly it's like you're a wizard not only you're wizard your parents are these very famous you know people you're the boy that lived you're a legend oh my god right and you're suddenly Mm -hmm. swept into this world of like all this magic shit's happening, and the movies were great, great, like, like, I'm trying to think, it felt so real, and especially at that time when, you know, crappy CGI is coming out, which, the troll in there was very bad CGI, but the rest of it was so believable, and everything was so, I was like, man, I want to be a wizard, and then I, I always do think back, because, um. You know how you had a a person in your life that is like Harry Potter is of the devil, and you're like, oh. Ooh. yeah. And I remember, I my aunt, of which no longer my aunt because you know the divorce from my uncle. You know, like aunt by marriage at the time was, like, telling me, she's like, oh, I I can't believe you're reading that, and I remember I was like, mom, I can't read these books or watch the movies anymore, because they're of the devil, and mom goes, well, that's cool, you know, but I'm still watching this, and I remember, like, (laughs) my my peak fingers, you know how my mom is, right, and I remember, she's, like, watching it, having a good time, and I'm, like, peeking through my fingers, and mom's like, come on, and I was like, so I'm not going to hell, she's like, god, no, just, Watch the freaking movie with me, kid. Oh God, Brittany, such a such a good Christian girl. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> like so little? Because by the way, that was before the like I had read the book, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Like
1: I, I'm trying. We're like it was something like that, but I had watched the movie, and I was so scared of getting in trouble. And. I was just like, oh, God, I'm going to get in trouble, you know. Oh, no, because when you have an adult telling you, like, when you're young and, like, <laughs> flexible, like, that-minded, where they're like, oh, yeah, I can influence you on this, I was terrified. I was like, I'm going to go to hell. So, yeah, Harry Potter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brittany. Um, oh, Brittany. I never thought that way. Uh, but. I uh, remember freaking Harry Potter, right? So I say this every time Harry Potter is mentioned on the top ten because you actually put this down, I think, last week when we did the top ten world, which is perfectly fine. But I was going to say that I say this every time. I've never read the books. I've never seen the movies. I think actually I've seen the first movie. I just don't remember it at all. But growing up, I had this friend, Jeanette, who – she loved the Harry Potter books. Like She lo- loved those Harry Potter books. And she could recite the first chapter of the first book by heart. The Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. I just always loved when Jeanette, like, recited that the way that she was like, thank you very much. <laughs> but, I mean... I can see where the story is so appealing to people, right? The idea of like, say, if you were someone who grew up and didn't have a very good home life or, you know, whatever. And the idea that you could be swept away and actually become something so interesting and so magical. And the fact that then you're given a tool to help you be in control of power Hell yeah! What kid in that position would wouldn't love that? And the the whole mysticism of it, the whole magic and wizards and all of that. Um, I certainly see why it's so appealing. Um, I know that J.K. Rowling has been in a ton of controversy lately, but I did always I did always admire the fact that she was pretty much homeless. Um, Uh, when she wrote the first Harry Potter book and was able to take herself out of that, which I think is, you know, kind of goes into the whole story of Harry Potter himself, you know, being an unfortunate individual who then is catapulted into a very nice life, I would say. And I mean, Harry Potter has, Harry Potter has inspired so much in our pop culture. Like I even remember, remember the freaking jelly beans? That were inspired by Harry Potter because they all tasted like different shit. Yeah, like was, I think it's called. Yeah, they were all like toenail or something like called or whatever, but um. Yeah, and freaking, it like, the meme, like, you're a wizard, Harry, or freaking, even today, people want to say, like, what house in Harry Potter they would, you know, belong to. So, Harry Potter definitely is such a part of, like, our pop culture with everything. What did you say?
1: Yeah, said so you're so sassy, you would be a Slytherin. I can already see it. I don't have the blonde hair for that. There <laughs> you go. No, were all blonde.
0: <laughs> they were all blonde. They were all bleach blonde, slick back hair. That's all I know oh, from I it.
1: <laughs>
0: you would definitely not be a Slytherin. I don't know the house well enough to say what you were, I but I definitely you. know that... Hufflepuff, yeah, that even sounds like something that you would be.
1: <laughs> I, call me Puff Daddy. Call me Puff Daddy. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> um, Brittany, I
0: have to say, I'm really surprised. Is Harry Potter your new thing that is going to appear on every single podcast? Because I'm very surprised
1: that you didn't pick Silence of the Lambs. It's a book, Brittany. What's crazy is I haven't read it. I need to read it. I need I'm it. I'm very surprised. I'm yeah.
0: very surprised.
1: I, just, I guess I'm afraid I'll be disappointed. But, like, because, but I, I don't know, he's much scarier in the book. Like, he has, like, red glinted eyes. And, you know, he has, like, almost, like, superhuman, like, smelling, like, uh, but that you do kind of get that from the movie, like when he's able to tell exactly what perfume she's wearing. But he is terrifying. I almost messed with you and went, "My favorite book is Twilight because I love Bella because she's she's mousy and she's described as she's half albino." And I was like, "Oh no, Teal will murder me. I can't even joke." I see, it's funny. I was going to joke before and be like, one of my favorites is Fifty
0: Shades of Grey. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Oh, my God. But um, I love you putting Harry Potter down. Um, I could totally see it coming. I was waiting for it. I was like, okay, she's definitely going to put that down. as her last one. That's why I even said, like, this is, are are the initials HP? Um, But, (laughs) (laughs) go We are down to uh, the number one on our top ten favorite novels. As always, I'm going to go through all of them before hitting number one. And we had a uh, top... And uh, We had number ten, Uglies, number nine, True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle, number eight, The Giver, number seven, The Anthem, number six, Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, number five, Johnny Got His Gun, number four, Inkheart, number three, American Gods, number two, Harry Potter, and before I name off the final one, let's do this actually beforehand, Brittany, do you have any honorable mentions?
1: I'm trying to think, because I, I read a ton of books as a kid, but I can't always remember their names, per se. So I can't think of one right now. That kind of makes me sad. Um, well, I have a few before I hit the number one. Was um, <laughs> it called? It was a little kid's book. They say it was Junie B. Jones or something like that. It was so cute. I love it. Um, I have the slap,
0: warm bodies, go ask Alice, summer uh, of my German, sh- my German soldier, night, the claiming of Sleeping Beauty, the Gospel of Loki, the Game of Thrones, and the number one on this list is going to be American Psycho. <laughs> um, oh now. Now, for those who don't know, the movie made famous by Christian Bale is a novel. It was based on a novel, um, American Psycho, written by a woman, by the way. Um, and the audiobook is narrated by Pablo Schreiber. So appealing all around.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: yes. So, so American Psycho, um, the novel. First of all, I have to say that the novel is pretty much like a dead ringer for the actual movie. The movie really didn't change a lot, which is kind of cool like to see. But at the same time, what was cool about the novel is, first of all, this um, freaking author had to do so much research. It is so detailed. It is insanely detailed. Like I could never be this good of a writer, or at least this good of a researcher, because it is literally like. First of all, just think about this, okay? Have, first of all, have you seen the movie American Psycho?
1: Please don't hurt me.
0: Okay, you never have. That doesn't surprise me. So, American Psycho is American Psycho is about this character played by Christian Bale in the movie who lives, um, you know, the typical wall street sort of New York city life where everything is very materialistic. You know, they're, you know, my, the shoes are made by this, this shirt is made by this, this, you know, uh, I only eat at this restaurant and this, 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 you know, and the movie is very detailed, right? He explains in his, uh, his whole morning routine, you know, he does uh, these pushups, you know, and he does this face mask and blah, 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 right? Like whatever. Um, and then, and the book is like 10 times more detailed. If the first three chapters are all explaining the clothing, like how, you know, he wakes up and he has this, uh you know, shirt made by Gucci and has this record by, you know, Neil Diamond from this day and age. And, you know, and then he has these shoes by Armani. And, you know, in the morning he, you know, makes sure to slick his hair back, you know, blah, 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 right? Like, it's so utterly fucking detailed. And then it's not until, like, the third chapter that it the craziness is like slowly slipped in right it's like so uh this morning i woke up i did my morning routine i brushed my teeth i went and returned some videos i disposed of the decapitated head in my freezer i went and got lunch at you know blah, blah blah and it's like wait what you're like wait what what did i just saw? like are you there
1: are telling a story and the person goes oh back up back up back, back up, back up. What's that? What's that? i just want to see if i heard you right and it's like can you repeat that
0: can you repeat that it's like oh about uh the time that i picked up my dry cleaning no no no, no. um after that <laughs> you know what um <laughs> So like that's what the whole book is about is that this guy just like he's a fucking psych he's a psychopath he's a psychopath he's literally a while he's living this life in new york city that is so materialistic and so focused on um you know having the best clothing and being the best and having all this money and looking down on poor people and you know he has a fiance who he doesn't particularly care for at all he doesn't find her interesting at one bit he's also sleeping with his best friend's girlfriend who is completely like Xanaxed out of her mind 99 percent of the time he goes to clubs and does drugs he has a mental fucking breakdown because his business card i showed you this uh, clip one time of the movie <laughs> of his business this business card and how like they're all sweating and trying to like figure out whose business card looks the best. when they all look the fucking same. Um, and on top of this, he is trying to like satisfy his homicidal needs. You know, he goes at some point and literally like kills a homeless person. He, you know, hires hookers specifically to kill them. There's at some point that he goes to the, um, the dry cleaners to give them his like Armani sheets that have blood on them and trying to explain to the woman, like, you know, just do your job and, you know, clean this for me, you know, and shit like that. And, and like, and it's just whole thing. And as the book goes, it's like, he's slowly unraveling. He's no longer able to necessarily maintain the lifestyle that he has been able to maintain for so long. And it's like he can't stop. It's like everything's bleeding into it. And he's like worried now that like he's not being careful anymore. Um, and now it's coming to a point where he believes that the cops are going to get him and he can't survive in jail. What is he going to do? You know, and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's just so crazy. It really is like he's psychotic. And the movie gets it, like, the movie gets it so well um, that, like, as I'm talking about, I'm just bleeding the two into each other because the movie just absolutely, like, understands what the book was all about. Um, There's a few scenes that, like, aren't as descriptive. Like, in the movie, Christian Bale's character kills a homeless person, and it's obviously a shit ton more descriptive in the book than it is in the movie, but it's so crazy. It's so insane. Like there's at some point he hires like hookers and forces them to like fuck each other, but then he ends up like killing both of them. Oh my God. Like it's insane, but it's so good because again, it's so detailed. Like it's so incredibly detailed that you just have to be like inspired. And the way that this author like carefully like, constructed how she was slowly going to reveal um, how freaking actually, I'm sorry, I messed up. The movie, American Psycho, is directed by a woman. The book was written by a man. I apologize about that. Um, I was going to say is that how he, like, constructs, how he's slowly going to reveal, like, how psychotic this character is is just amazing. So I'm sorry. American Psycho is my number one.
1: I think it sounds awesome. It makes me want to see the movie because I know how often like people are like, That's his best movie, that's his best movie and that he but you know what makes me kinda of scared is Christian Bell is such a method actor. I would have hated to be around him while he was doing this movie. Like like keep him very far away from me. Because there's a very, uh, there, I, I was listening to, like, uh, the top ten watch mojo thing about, uh, t- like, actors that got way too into their roles. And I, I think Christian Bell like, ends up, like, freaking out on a director, like, just screams at him. Oh, and no. I'm sorry, I know that story. He ends up freaking
0: out at someone, I believe, during the filming of The Dark Knight, because there was someone, like, one of, I guess, the spectators um, was, like, making noise, and he completely stopped to, like, absolutely tear into them.
1: Yeah, he's pretty intense, Christian Dale, and I can definitely see Go ahead. No, oh, no, I was just laughing, and I was just thinking, God, could you imagine? I feel I would not want to be anyone near him alone. I feel like he's gonna literally murder me. Please,
0: <laughs> that's how he's gonna get into the character, Brittany. He has to murder someone in order to understand. Um, yeah, no, he—he's Christian Bale is great in that role. Like, there's a scene where. First of all, Jared Leto is in it, and they play, like, co-workers, and he's one of the guys that they were having, like, pretty much the dick-measuring contest over their freaking uh, business cards. And he, like, invites him over, and, like, Jared Leto's character doesn't even notice that, like, Christian Bale is behind him, having already put on this, like, you know, plastic schmuck. And he's like, t- and like he's talking about his favorite albums and shit, while he's like getting this axe ready to fucking kill the guy. He's like, yeah, he's like Phil Collins, you know, and blah blah blah. I love it because it really just, you know, da, da, da. and like he has this line. And he's like, don't you know that I'm utterly psychotic, you know? And he like has this thing, or he, his fiance in the in the movie is Reese Witherspoon. And she's like, I think we should get married. And he's like, no, I'm too busy. I have to return some VHS dates. And then when he, like, breaks up with her, She she's like, but why? And he's like, well, you're not particularly important to me.
1: <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no. Well, I mean, I guess he's honest, at least.
0: <laughs> you know, us girls, we're
1: always saying that we want honest men. <laughs> I mean, I guess you can't say that he didn't give a reason why he broke up. I mean, that's pretty damn honest.
0: Anything killer, which, you know, considering he's a crazy sociopath, is a plus. Um, But, yeah, I love the American Psycho novel. It's just so incredibly detailed. It's a wild fucking ride. And if you listen to the audiobook, you get to listen to Pablo Schreiber narrate it. So, it's a pretty much a win-win, but Brittany, I think we did an awesome job. This is a lot of fun. Um, I feel like I learned a lot about your taste in books. And yeah, uh, so if anyone is listening, please let us know what your favorite novel is, what you enjoy to read as a kid, or what you enjoy to read now. And do you prefer reading actual books to audiobooks? I have to tell you, Brittany, really quick before we wrap up. Um, remember, I bought that Jim Hopper book from uh, New York Comic Con. Yes. I was looking, to, I was looking to see if it was available as an audiobook so that I could listen to it because I was like, I'm never actually going to sit down and read this, but I have been listening to Curse. Because it you know the show that I rave about on Netflix it was uh, based from a novel so I've been listening to the audiobook and it's pretty much um, word for word but it's it's really good and it's narrated by Katherine Langford herself so I suggest getting that as well but Brittany. Um, By the way, if you guys didn't know, Brittany's going to be the next Dr. Disrespect, so make sure you all check her out. (laughs) Uh, Please plug your stuff. Let everyone know where they can find you.
1: I was going to say, you can find me at twitch.tv at uh, ittybittybrit. I've been streaming a lot of God of War lately, talking about uh, mythologies. And uh, we had a community game night on Thursday, which I think it's going to be normal now. we I mean, play jackbox.tv, which is like where everybody can play with me. Uh, we just do some chatting. You know, it's really kind of focused on just like hanging out with the viewers and maybe not so much on the gameplay. And uh, it's been really exciting these kind of simple streams. We've just, it's just been a blast. I really look forward to streaming. Um, I normally I set out a schedule. It's going to be on my Twitter at itty bitty Brit zero or my Discord, which you can join by going through my actual Twitch channel. But, uh, but yeah, it's just been a lot of fun. It's seriously, it's one of those things when people are like, "Oh, it's your hobby," and I'm like, "It's more than a hobby." But then you sound dramatic when you're like, "It's a passion." But, <laughs> but seriously, I have a good time with it. I always look forward to it and. My chat is a wild group of misfits, but I love them anyways. I didn't know you had Discord. Um,
0: Give me the link, and I will join because I want to be part of the cool kids. But, yeah, anyone... Anyone who says that it's just a hobby, like, what are they, Joe Rogan? Um, oh but <laughs> I don't know if you've even seen that circulating around, like how Joe Rogan, like, talks so much shit about gamers. And I was like, bruh, we're podcasters. We ain't that much better.
1: <laughs> part stand up for is that, that it's just, it was slightly out of context, but it's because Joe Rogan actually had a, uh, addiction to video games for a while so he's a little more like intense about like don't be obsessive with being playing video games but he's actually a pretty big gamer himself but yeah the twitch community did not like it the (laughs) gaming did not like it
0: i can imagine it made me embarrassed to be a podcaster but um yes everyone please make sure that you check out brittany stuff she is a very dedicated streamer who spends hours and hours and hours on Twitch for your amusement. So make sure you check that out. But uh, as for me, please make sure that you check me out on um, Twitter and Instagram at TFAB. You can also check me out at com, where I contribute articles there. And you can see all of the links to our social media platform. Please go to YouTube and check out Geek Vibes Podcast. That's where we post all of our videos there, which include my Tea Time with Tia, where I just pretty much do anything. I reviewed um, the Umbrella Academy recently. I also went over what's going on with TikTok. And we just also have interviews there. I just recently interviewed J.B. Smooth and John Lutz from Quibi's upcoming Mapleworth Murders. And just there's a lot of stuff there, so make sure you check it out.
1: I hope everyone has a great rest of their day, and we will both see you later. See you all next